Good morning. Oh, wow. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Wow, thank you. Making me feel so special this morning. Hey, um, I'm, I don't want to step into business. It's not mine, but um, I think that uh, a great two people for that wedding coordinator, maybe Gene Cagle and Zach Martin, can really be compassionate toward those brides, defuse drama, and all that kind of stuff. So they're not here, so they just called and said to drop their names for those positions. So um, now that that's done, um, again, my name's Chris Boddy. Uh, we um, have been coming to Grace a lot um, when we come into town to visit Rick and Sherry, and uh, we just love this church, and so we're excited to be here this morning. Uh, Three of our four kids are in here, so um, this will be their first time in big service and on the front row. So we'll see what happens. One already has a paper airplane, so uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but we live in Tyler, Texas. I work for Pine Cove, and, uh, and just a joy to be with you all this morning. So um, let me read the text um, that uh, uh, you all have been going through, First John, and so I want to read the text, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Um, so you can open up your Bibles and, and read along with me, or maybe it's going to be up there um, as well. So 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 10, starting in verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on saying has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Great passage to be a guest speaker. <laughs> um, let me pray for us before we get going. Lord, uh, you are good. Um, Lord, you are mighty and powerful. Um, Lord, you are a lion and a lamb. Um, Lord, you are gracious and merciful. Lord, you, uh, the fact that you've given us this day. Uh, Lord, we didn't deserve another day, uh, but Lord, you've given it to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to teach us about who you are, about who we are in you. Lord, I pray that you would um, open up hearts to hear truth. And Lord, I pray that you would use my mouth to speak truth, Lord, and um, that only truth would come out. Lord, we need you. We love you. We are so grateful 
to be called your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, I know that y'all have been going through First uh, John together, and so um, this might be a little bit of a recap, but um, John is writing to believers who are being attacked by all these heresies. He's writing to believers that are, are being attacked by lies coming in, trying to distort truth, trying to pull them away from the truth of grace in the gospel, trying to uh, second guess even their own salvation. He's writing in a time where, where most of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, who lived with Jesus, who saw his death and his resurrection, they passed away. John's one of the only ones left at this point, and now all this insecurity is flooding the church. What does it look like to be saved? Am I saved? What is sin? Is it okay to struggle with sin? If I sin, am I a part of the kingdom or not? And all these lies are coming toward the people of the Lord. And so John writes um, in 1 John 3, 1 through 10, to um, A, to reassure them of what it looks like, to, to remind them of the gospel. And then what does sin look like for those who've been saved? And so, um, you know, uh, I heard this uh, quote once by a guy named J.R. Vassar, and, and he said that um, insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. And, and that's true. We know that in, in our earthly relationships, if you don't know what the other person's thinking, if you're always second-guessing, there's never going to be true intimacy with that person. Um, and the same is true of our relationship with God. If there's insecurity in our relationship with the Lord, there's never going to be true intimacy. If we're thinking, always wondering, what does God feel? Am I able to approach God? Does he hate me right now because of my sin? Is, is he upset with me? Is he happy with me? Does he love me? I, I don't even know. If there's insecurity in our relationship with God, there's never going to be true intimacy with a holy God. And so here at the beginning of our passage, he says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And so I want to talk just at the beginning about our adoption. Uh, adoption's a big deal to me. We've adopted um, a little girl, also my brother, and sister are both adopted. So adoption has been a part of my life forever. And there's a few truths about adoption and our ultimately our adoption in God himself that hopefully will expose insecurity that kind of keep us at bay so that we can walk in intimacy with the Lord. You know, when we first adopted our little girl, Bliss, which you'll, you'll meet her in a second. Uh, I'm going to have her come up. Um, and we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, for the first month, at least, uh, probably a little bit over months, she wanted nothing to do with me. Um, I'd walk, I'd walk in, and um, and and she'd be happy playing with the rest of the family. And as soon as I walked in, it was, and she'd look at me, and she wouldn't take her eyes off, and her lip would go down. Anytime I got close to her, she would yell and run away. And there was a lot of insecurity there. Uh, my wife said it was because I was loud and obnoxious, <laughs> which, thank you for the laughs, that's a lie and we all know it, um, 
But, but there was so much insecurity there. She didn't know that I was good. She didn't know why I was there. She didn't know. I had to love on this little girl. I had to show her that I loved her no matter what. I had to come around and, and try to feed her and nourish and give her the things that she needed. And she, I had to gain that. And it wasn't until all those insecurities left that now she runs into my arms when I come home and yells, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And it's the best. And man, hopefully today, if there's some of that insecurity with God, hopefully that will be exposed so you can run into his arms. Amen? And so the first truth about adoption is this. We had nothing to do with our adoption in Christ. We had nothing to do with our, and this is good News, guys, if it was up to us, there's way too much pressure on us to be as good as we should be to be adopted or, or to stay as good as we should be so that we don't get kicked out of the house. Our adoption has nothing to do with us. Ephesians 2 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of error, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Amen? Guys, that's good news. Amen? We were dead in our trespasses. There was no, when you're dead, is there any hope of it? We were dead. We were dead in shame, in guilt, in punishment of our sins. There was no hope of getting out of that state. When you were dead, there's no, there's no life to be had. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses, saved us. By grace, we have been saved. You know, for me, I, I grew up in the church. I have awesome, godly parents. I remember the felt board in, in Sunday school, you know, and I, I don't have this horrible past. And, and for me, reading this, I, I can read it and know, like, man, that's great news, and just move on, and nothing is stirred up within me. And, and it's almost as if, and maybe some of y'all are in this boat, it's almost as if, like, yeah, of course he adopted me. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that out loud, even though I just did, apparently. But I wouldn't say that out loud, but deep down, it's like we can read this and nothing stirred up within us because we actually think it is about us. That we were the, the beautiful baby that everybody wanted to adopt. Of course, God adopted us. And as I was thinking about that, I felt the Holy Spirit say to my heart, that, and I started journaling about this, and this is what came out. The darkness I walked in slash walking is so much darker and disgusting than the wayward senior, sinner. My sin of complacency and disobedience comes from a heart that knows Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Despite that, I choose to live without him, refuse to make him Lord of my life, and live on mission. His grace toward me is far more amazing than him to, who lives for this world because he knows of no other way. I am wretched beyond all sinners, Lord, yet you saved me and are saving me. 
I do not deserve your love. Please remind me of this often. Praise the Lord, our adoption is not about us. And on the flip side, you might be, have a past that when you read this, you know the darkness. Man, it was deep and it was dark and it was bad. And maybe some of that shame and guilt is still keeping you from running to your father's arms. You still think, Lord, the things that I've done, the things that I've seen, the things that I've said, the relationships that I've had, there's always going to be a gap between me and a holy God because of all these things that I've done. And the truth is, our adoption is not about us, amen? All of that stuff, God knew everything that you did before you even did it, and he knew it when he sent Jesus to the cross to purchase you. Our adoption is not about us. Nothing should hinder us from running to our Father's arms. Whoa. To our Father's arms. And then um, the, uh, the, the last part in this is the fact that, that some of us struggle with thinking we have to earn his love and adoption. Um, Tim Keller, uh, pastor in New York, he said this, it's as though we were given a gift but give it back to the giver so that we can strive to earn it. It's absurd. And yet some of us live our entire lives trying to earn something that was purchased for us, given to us despite of ourselves, and we try to earn it back our entire lives, which will only create insecurity because we will never be able to earn the gift the Lord's given us. The first truth is our adoption is not about us. Second one is our adoption is secure. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. What this verse is saying and, and what we can take security in in our adoption is, is um, our hope, my hope, our hope, is in the obedience of Christ, not in my obedience. Amen? Guys, Amen? My hope is in the obedience of Christ, not in my obedience. My hope is in the Spirit setting me apart as holy, not in me trying to be godly. Amen? And my hope is in God seeking after me while I was in my sin, not me seeking after God. There is security. The, the, um, again, Tim Keller says this, the basis of the Christian insurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. The basis of Christian insurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. I have a brother I mentioned earlier who's adopted. He's five years older than me, and he was that kid in high school. He um, was a partier and, uh, and um, man, made tons of mistakes. And I remember countless, countless, countless nights walking in and my parents bawling, crying in the kitchen. 
um, just over the things that he was choosing to do and live in and thing, the, the people he was choosing to be around. And, and that didn't just happen for a year. That was years. That, that started probably in junior high and went even past college, this life that my brother was living in. And it, and it wrecked my parents who both loved Jesus and, and it just wrecked them. And you know what never happened though? What never happened is my parents never called a family meeting together. And, and they never got me and my sister and, and sat us down and said, you know what, guys? Um, it's just not working out with Cooper anymore. You know, we've tried. We've taught him. We, we have taught him over and over. We've been praying for him. We, we have, we've tried everything that we know what to do. And it's just not working out. We're going to vote tonight if he stays in the family or not. And, and you know the reason why that meeting never took place? Because Cooper is and will be forever their son. The, period. It, it, doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what he says or doesn't say, what he does or doesn't do, who he hangs out or who he doesn't hang out the, the reality is that Cooper is their son. Cooper is my brother. And this is the same with our relationship with the holy God. We don't have to have this insecurity. Lord, I know that I've been purchased by you. There was a time and place when I realized my sin in separation from a holy God, and, and I trusted in him, and I started living for him, but I, I got off path, and Lord, I know that I'm not in your family anymore. That's not a reality. Our adoption means that it is secure. When you are a son or a daughter of God, that will never change. Amen? Never It is imperishable, our inheritance. It, everything else in this world will fade away. It's all rusting. It's breaking. It will never satisfy. But our inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It was never touched by sinful hands. And it's unfading. It's the only thing that will last for eternity. And not only that, it is guarded by God. The all-powerful, almighty, he speaks and things are created, God, kept for us. You can go to your heavenly father in full security knowing that you are loved, that you are a son, that you are a daughter. Our adoption is secure. And lastly and quickly, our adoption puts Christ in me. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His past is now my past. I am free from condemnation as if I died and been judged already. I am loved by God as if I had lived the life Christ lived. And if this is true, and it is, 
then habitual sin cannot reign in our lives. And as John moves on, and at first glance, it can be very daunting, and um, do I have salvation or not salvation? And, and it can make you question if you're not able to jump in and dive into truth. It can be sound very scary the rest of this passage, but what God is saying through 1 John is the fact that habitual sin can't live where the Holy Spirit resides. I, we just moved um, a couple months ago to a new house, and, um, and it's five minutes away from our old house. Um, there's a few different turns to get there, and, um, and I've gone to my old house probably six times just coming home from work, uh, just on autopilot going there, and, and uh, I was leaving work, and I was thinking about this talk, and, and I was thinking about us opening up the Word, and, and I'm praying Lord, this is a scary passage to me. Uh, it sounds very intimidating to read through 1 John 3, 1 through 10. And, and, and I was just praying, Lord, I want, to, I want to speak truth. I want you to speak truth through me. Lord, would you give me creativity to do that well? And as I'm praying, when I'm done praying, I look up and I'm at my old house. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just hit me in that moment. This this is what I'm trying to convey. Look, you used to have a, you used to have an old house that was sin. It was your sin nature. It was the flesh. And on autopilot, that's where you would go. But it's been purchased. Now, your life has been purchased. You've been transferred, like Colossians says, from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. You have a new home. Stop going to your old house. This is the word that Paul, that John's trying to get across to the believers. Stop going to your old house because sin is a big deal and should not be overlooked. Um, he says this, you know that uh, when he appeared, this is verse 5 and 8, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Sin is a big deal. In a, in a world filled, filled with lies and heresy that, that these believers are going through, that it's okay to sin, it's all right. Just don't do big stuff. Don't murder. It's okay to, to struggle with this and that. And John, God through John is saying, no. Sin is a big deal. It's so much so that I sent my son to die for it. The, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of sin in your life. Stop playing with it. You know, First Peter describes the, um, the devil as a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. He's just prowling around, just looking for anybody to devour, and, and we turn him into a, a house cat. And we bring him in, and we think it's not a big deal. And I've seen a video, actually, of a lion that was a pet, and I'll put that in quotations. Like, and, and all these guys, it was in a different country, but all these guys are petting him, and the lion just turns on him. And just starts mauling these guys. Don't Google it. It's bad. 
But he starts mauling. And this is what this is what God is saying. It's a big deal. Man, don't bring the, the hungry lion into your house. Fight against sin. Don't let it reside in you. It should stir up something within you because my spirit lives within you, is what God is saying. So fight against it. The reason why it's a big deal is this truth. 100% of the time, 100% of the time, unconfessed sin always leads to something deeper and darker than you ever thought or imagined. Think about that. One. 100% of the time, unconfessed sin will always lead to something deeper and darker than you ever thought or imagined. Some of y'all know this by experience. I do. I mean, sin by nature will never satisfy us. It can't satisfy us. All it does is leave us craving more, wanting the next thing, wanting to go deeper and darker. That's all it can produce. The only thing that can satisfy is a relationship with God. Our maker and designer, God himself, wired us to only be satisfied with an intimate relationship with God. And so sin always leaves us needing more, wanting more, going deeper, going darker. And then you wake up one day and you think, how in the world did I get here? How in the world? Man, one day I would have said, no way. You'll never find me in that spot. I'll never struggle with that then as we make compromises and, and don't confess our sin, it leads us to places that we never thought or imagined. J.C. Ryle, an old Puritan writer, he wrote a book called Thoughts for Young Men, which is an amazing book. And in it, he says, many, young men could, many a young man could tell you with sorrow and shame that he traces the ruin of all of his worldly prospects to the point I speak of to giving way to sin in its beginning. He began habits of deception and dishonesty in little things, and they grew on him. Step by step, he has gone from bad to worse till he has done things at one time he would have thought impossible till at last he has lost his standing, lost his character, lost his peace, and almost lost his soul. He allowed a gap in the wall of his conscience because, he seemed, because it seemed a little one and once allowed, the gap grew larger every day till in time the whole wall seemed to come down. Jeremy Taylor, another Puritan writer, says this about the progression of sin. First it startles him, then it becomes pleasing, then easy, then delightful, then frequent, then habitual, then the way of life. Then the man feels no guilt, then obstinate, then resolves never to repent. Sin is a big deal. And even if you're sitting in this room and you're feeling the weight of that and you're living in the weight of that, remember what kind of love God has for us. 
that we should be called his children. You can run to your loving, merciful Father's arms where grace and forgiveness and mercy is found. Don't buy into the lie that you're too shame-filled, you're too guilty, you're shackled in, shame, in chains of shame and guilt, and the reality is through Jesus Christ, all those chains have been broken, and the cell door has been open, and you just wandered back into the cell, and you're sitting there with the door wide open thinking that you're chained, but you're not. of the time, unconfessed sin always leads to something deeper and darker than you ever thought or imagined. And and the last point on sin is, and the beauty is believers are not perfect. That's not what this is saying. You can read quickly through this and jump and come to that conclusion and move on and, and be depressed the rest of your life because you know You're not perfect, but that is not what God is saying here. We know that because he's already said in 1 John 8, he says if anyone claims to not have sin but is in sin, he's a liar. If anyone claims to not have sin, he's a liar. We all struggle with sin. Even Paul, the spiritual giant, talks about how the things that I do in Romans 7, the things that I do, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing the things that I hate. We all struggle with sin. But for believers, and what he's saying is for believers, we should feel the struggle. Sin should do something to us, and we should see progress as we continue to be uh, transformed into his likeness. We should feel the struggle, and we should see progress. Um, sand is to the eye what sin is to the soul. When it's in our lives, it does something. It irritates something because the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so we can't live in sin without something being stirred up within us. Um, If you've seen uh, Hacksaw Ridge or any war movie for that matter, there's two types of people in the war zone. There, there's the, the one type is these people, and they're on edge, and every sense in their body is heightened because of war all around them. They're wide-eyed. They're alert. They're ready. They're, they, they don't relax. They don't sleep. They don't, they, they're all on alert. And then there's a second group. There's a second group. second group are at complete peace. They're calm. Their eyes are closed. They're, they're not worried about the things going on around them. That, that second group are those that are dead. And what this verse is saying, if sin isn't stirring something up within you, the Bible is saying maybe you are spiritually dead. But for believers, we're in the middle of a war zone. There are attacks all around us. Somebody's going to cut you off on the way home and there's going to be attacks within your soul. 
It's rampant and it's everywhere. And for us as believers, our, our senses are heightened. We're alert. We feel the weight of sin coming at us. But the beauty is there's forgiveness for sins. Um, Bliss, come here, baby. We're going to try something. I'm going to end with this. This is Bliss. Everyone say hi, Bliss. Hi. Hey, Bliss, I want to ask you something. Why does Daddy love you? Yeah, will you ever not be my daughter? Will Daddy ever stop loving you? Thank you, you're so cute. Yeah. I don't know if you got that or not, but um, what I tell my boys and, uh, well, our other one's one, so we don't start this yet, but um, in bliss, when I put them to sleep, I ask them those three questions. Why does Daddy love you? Your answer is because I'm your daughter or my son because I'm your son. Will you ever not be my daughter? No. Will Daddy ever stop loving you? No. And maybe this is the Holy Spirit wanting to speak to your heart today. You are his son. You are his daughter. I want my kids to grow up in security knowing that it doesn't matter if they get straight A's or flunk out. If they hit a home run or strike out, my love is not conditioned on any of those things. If they choose to live for me or for the Lord, if they choose bad things and they mess up, my love for them is not conditional on those things. It's conditional on one fact. You are my daughter. You are his son and his daughter. You can go to him today and find forgiveness. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for today. Um, Lord, I just am so grateful for the fact that you've adopted us, that you've called us your sons, your daughters. Lord, I'm so grateful for the fact that um, we can come to you. And Lord, I know that there's some that are living intimately with you right now, Lord, and I just pray that you would refresh them, that you would encourage them, that you would use them to encourage the other, the other uh, people in their lives, in their sphere of influence, Lord, that you would use them to be a light. And Lord, I know that there are so many that walked, crawled, really crawled in here this morning in weight of sin and brokenness and shackles. Lord, would you remind them that they are your son and daughter? Lord, I know that some walked in here and they don't know who you are and they haven't experienced a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would prick hearts. Lord, that the truth of the gospel, that, that um, Christ loved us not because of who we are, but he loved us just because he was pleased to love us. Lord, that God, you sent your son to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we deserved to die, so that we could spend eternity with you. 
Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.